Welcome back. What is going on, OWS fam, DFS fam, YouTube fam? I almost tripped myself up there by starting with a welcome back instead of a what is going on. But welcome to the DFS lab. I am your host, JM to win. Getting ready to talk a little bit more about this week five slate. What makes this slate interesting? But also this week, we're going to, we, we try to stay pretty fluid with this show. We're going to pivot off of our normal Thursday show where we build another lineup and talk through the slate, talk through roster construction techniques and all that. And we're going to have a little bit of a reflection episode in this spot where if you're newer to this show, again, the concept behind the show, I've been playing DFS for 10 years, mostly at a pretty high level, mostly with, with a decent amount of success throughout those years. And it's been my full-time job for about eight years. And Keegan, my, my guest co-host on this show, uh, has been playing DFS for two, three years and fits it in around his job, around his new marriage, around his one-year-old kid, and, um, which is kind of the boat that a lot of you listeners are in where you don't have the full time to dedicate to DFS, but you want to get good at it. And so you're putting in your thoughts around the week and, and doing whatever you can. And so uh, this is a really cool show. Keegan wanted to basically ask some questions and talk through some of his rosters and his processes and see where he can improve. And the idea there is that hopefully some of you will pick up some areas where you can improve your game as well. So with that, let's get started. One week season. All right, Keegan, how you doing, man? I'm doing great. Um, so before we get into the, the whole self-reflection thing, I did want to go over. So I, I don't, I like do this a lot, but I actually went to our video yesterday um, and went to the comments and I, someone had a question for you and uh, maybe you could answer it for them. All right. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. I like that. So they said, you talk about building 150 rosters, then shopping through them. My question is how do you choose the top rosters? What criteria make it your top rosters? Okay. So first off this <clears throat> week, this is kind of this show piles into um something I did yesterday, which was if you're trying to get better at DFS, if you're watching this show or listening to this show and you're thinking like, oh, this is a good episode for me because there's places where I'd like to improve. So we have uh, two membership levels for DFS on one week season. One is just OWS DFS, where it's more focused on that week's slate and the prepping users for that particular week's slate and the strategy on that week's slate and who are the best plays on that week's slate and all that. And then we also have an inner circle membership, which is just actually a little bit more than the, the straight DFS membership. But the inner circle membership also has like a lot of straight training stuff in it. So we have a Wednesday podcast every week where I talk macro DFS strategy theory, typically through the lens of the week behind or the week ahead. We have a Saturday podcast called The Slate with Xandamir and Hilo where they go through the entire slate, but they do it from a strategy perspective. We have some other really cool uh, content pieces that are based around strategy on that particular week slate and more macro stuff, some free courses that Inner Circle members can dive into. All that to say, uh, my Wednesday show, this week we made it free. And so if you just go to the one week season podcast feed, which you might actually be listening to this show on, if you just go to the one week season podcast feed on any podcast player, you'll find it on there. It's called Winter Circle, probably special edition or something. So what I did was I went through my week four play and the concept behind me doing this show and Keegan, I would recommend you listen to it too. But the concept is that we learn more from observing than from taking in instructions. And you can't really observe somebody playing DFS, but I wanted to create a podcast that was the equivalent of you observing me playing the week four slate. So I walk through how I built my player pool, what my percentages looked like, how I built my rules in the bink machine, how I selected my top rosters out of the 150 and um, why there's so much edge in approaching things the way I approach things and how I've been able to to tap into that edge, uh, walk through some of my mistakes. You know, it was my most profitable week on the year, but it was also, in my opinion, my most mistake-filled week on the year. It was probably the week, like all four weeks so far, I believe would have been profitable for me if we could have played out the slate, those slates a hundred times. But week four would have been my least profitable week if we could have played out the slate a hundred times. So uh, gave me an opportunity to kind of hit on some of the mistakes that I made and some of the things that I saw that like, oh, this actually lowered my expectations of profit on this week. So yes, it was my best week of the season, but it wasn't my best week of play. 
on the season, uh, but also was able to talk about some of the really sharp things that I was able to find that made up for those mistakes. And so um, I truly think it's like one of the most valuable podcasts I've put together just because it's people really like seeing roster breakdowns, right? But this is more of like a full comprehensive week four play breakdown. And, and through that process, I get to how I select those rosters, but it's pretty critical in my opinion that you have, like that's the, the point of the pyramid, right? So I can hand you, I can take the point of the pyramid off and hand it to you, but it doesn't mean as much as it would if you have the whole base of the pyramid underneath it. So yeah, I would recommend listening to that. It's an hour and 40 minute podcast, but you throw it on 2X speed and it's that's 50 minutes. You throw it on in the car or whatever. And um, I think it'll have a lot of value for, for any of you who are striving to become better DFS players. It's like a pretty critical foundational podcast, which is why I wanted to make it free to everyone on the one week season podcast feed. So long answer, but um, I think kind of a, some critical background on that particular podcast. And hopefully some of you um, go out of your way to, to listen to that because I think it will be valuable. Great. So yeah, go listen to that podcast. Everybody. Go listen to that podcast. Um, before we dive in, I do want to make a quick note. We were talking about this before we got on air. Interesting week in week five, and we might touch on some week five things as we go through this, um, just in the context of whatever questions you're asking. But the it's a week where I was saying to Keegan before we got on air that I'll probably, I, I put together my player pool for the player grid on Thursday nights. And I was saying, I'll probably finish my day of work earlier than normal today because it's pretty clear who belongs in a tighter player pool. But what's not clear is like, it's clear who the sharper plays are this week, but what's not clear is who the sharpest plays from that pool are. And um, so, yeah, it'll be a very interesting week this week where um, pieces will really come together deeper into the weekend. But we like weeks like this where um, so many of the edges that people have been leaning on to date are off of this slate in terms of the defenses people have been attacking the, the, the game involved, you know, Seattle's off this slate, the Chargers are off this slate teams that have bad defenses and can score points to create good game environments are off this slate. The Raiders are off this slate. The 49ers offense is off the slate. The bills offense is off this slate. Um, and so a lot of people will look at this slate and be like, Oh man, this slate's ugly. I don't know what to do. Whereas I look at it and I'm like, Oh, this slate, like people are going to think this is ugly because they have to start from scratch. And if we're starting from scratch, uh, I would put our money on us. So yeah, really excited about this slate, but a very interesting slate in that it's pretty clear who like the sharper plays are, but then it's like, who are the sharpest plays among those? Um, we'll kind of have to wait and see on that. So um, yeah, with that, Keegan, let me turn it over to you and I, you can kind of drive this show and um, you know, ask whatever you want to ask and talk through whatever you want to talk through. Sweet. Yeah. So also I, I mean, I just like stop me anytime I go, basically what I want to like do is just go through my process and, if there's any um, <clears throat> things that I can learn along that, uh, just, you know, stop me. And cool, cool, cool. Like so generally what I like to do is like, so, you know, before I see the the game, like who's playing who, the the, the slate at all. First thing I do is I'll, I'll look at the teams, you know, who's playing who. Um, I generally don't actually look at um, like team totals, who's going to score the highest. I mean, sometimes I, I do, but most of the time I don't. I, I just look like – I look for the defenses that – like you said, the defense that give up the most points and the teams that can still score the most with those defenses. So – but I also look at, like, superstar offenses, you know, Miami, um, Chargers, which they also give up a lot of points, though. So um, Vikings, I like the Vikings a lot. I look at the Vikings. This year the Denver defense has been really bad, so I like to attack that. Um, it Really any team that – plays against Denver this year that's what I've been kind of looking at and then I'll like write a list of like maybe like four or five teams that I like and I'll go look at them and then after I like figure out the teams that I want I will then go to my quarterback position and just kind of scroll through and see who I like this week and who's like underpriced and overpriced <clears throat> and then I'll kind of just mess around and they'll be like okay well CJ Stroud I'll go look at his game log see what, how many points he's gotten this year. So he's got 11, 25, 20, 24. And something that like you've kind of taught me to do is look at these players and be like, okay, can they get that 30 point, 35 point, 40 point ceiling against like whatever team they're playing. And uh, that's what I do a lot more now than like when I first started playing. So, okay. So I'm going to jump in here. Yeah, go ahead. Um, 
none of that's wrong, right? Obviously, okay. all of that's sharp. And it's what's great is you're starting from game environment. You're starting from a top-down perspective. And like I said last week, that step of writing things down. Um, actually, uh, um, one of my buddies from high school sent me a text this morning. Shout out to Chris, who's listening to this. Uh, sent me a, a text this morning with a picture of, of the DFS yesterday's DFS Lab episode playing in his uh, car. But there was like... Um, like uh, five, six years ago, I met his wife, I guess wife now, girlfriend at the time. And she was like, oh, you're that guy who writes that article. And she, and she said, Chris is always like on Saturdays, Chris is always sitting there with like a notebook and like taking notes for hours on this article, right? That, that concept of putting things down on paper is so valuable because it does start to like, it, it just makes it, uh, you've read Harry Potter, you know, they've got like the, I think it's the pensieve that, that where Dumbledore will take his thoughts out of his head and like store them in this, this stone like thing, right? Like it's almost like that, right? It takes it out of your head. So now that's no longer clogging up your head and it frees up your mind to think about other things, right? Now you've put that down on paper and you can like organize your thoughts a lot better once they've been written down, right? So that's all valuable. The, the one thing here that I would say is there's a tendency to start trying to make decisions too early in the week. And so there can be this tendency to be like, okay, these are the offenses I like, or these are the game environments I like. And all of a sudden that can close off the opportunities for some of the other games. Right. Um, and so there has to be to, like, one of the things that I like to do, and I don't always have time. I did it last week and I'll always do it. If I'm feeling a little bit stuck is I'll go through game by game on the app and, and, build a roster around every single game right so then i force myself like last week you know i'm on buccaneers and saints and forcing myself to build a Derek carr chris Olave roster with a rashad white bring back like i'm never going to use that but as i'm building it it forces me to ask the questions about the players in that game and and essentially say what is the best roster i could build around this game and sometimes i can't even bring myself to put the quarterback on even a practice build and it's like okay so if i'm not building around the quarterback then how could i tell a story about the like some offensive pieces in this game playing well and being correlated you know and every week i have this pile of depending on how much time i have and how the week shapes up and what how many practice rosters i need to build but every week i have this pile of anywhere from like 20 to 50 plus rosters that i'm literally not going to put into play and it's just like to force my mind it, I always say it's like about, about seeing how the pieces on the slate fit together, but it's not even just about that so much as it forces my mind to think through all the spots so that if there's something I missed on Sunday, if somebody has a huge game and I didn't have them in my player pool, I know exactly why I didn't have them. There's never going to be a player that I'm like, Oh, I didn't think about that guy. Right. And, and yeah. in terms of tournaments, you know, the, you know, salary matters and all that, but like we can look at this last week and you see like the, the big scores can come from all over the place. We've saw, I mean, Tank Dell posted a, a 20 pointer at 3,200 and a 28 pointer at 3,600. And Nico Collins put up 38.9 at 5,100 last week. And obviously, those are both Texans guys, but um, you know, there's just all, all, every week there's going to be pieces. Um, David Montgomery put up over 30 points. He's always in the 6K range. And uh, A-Chan put up 30 last week. And, and A-Chan and Mostert both put up over 45 two weeks ago. Um, so it's like, we can get in this tendency to just be like, okay, and we've talked about this on the show, but just be like, okay, so how do I move my salary down to get up to these other guys? But mm -hmm. there, once you start seeing this pool of like, um, cause that's one of the things I do, like on Monday, I wrote down, what are the quarterbacks who can post the highest raw score on the slate, take salary out who can post the highest raw score on the slate? Like, then I've got to put Daniel Jones on that list because he technically can put up a 34 pointer and maybe nobody else tops 30 points. Right. doesn't mean I'm going to play him or going to have a ton of exposure to him, but it's like who, well, I will play him, but it doesn't mean I'm going to have a ton of exposure to him, but it's like who can put up the highest raw score. And then you start seeing like beyond that. Okay. And then who can put up like a big score for their salary. And those are kind of two separate, two separate categories, but um, you got to be aware of who all those players are in the slate. And so that's one thing about, you know, it's awesome to go game by game, but you want to be cautious about making decisions too early. Like, okay, so I'm going to be on these games. So these are the games I like. Um, and then it can really block you, block you off. Cause I used to have, like, I would have rosters finished by Thursday when I was a single entry player in like 2015 and the edge was way bigger back then. 
Um, but it, it was still, it was like, I'd have rosters finished, but then sometimes late news would come and I'd be like, well, I can't pivot off this roster. I already have it. You know? So it's like, um, the, the less you close off your thoughts and the more I talk in that podcast that, that I was saying to encouraging everyone to listen to, but I talk about it like, like to me, uh, Saturday night is when I build my rosters like game day, you know, and everything else throughout the week is prep. And I think we might have talked about this on the show a little bit yesterday, but like yeah, we did. the Shane Steichen example, but like everything throughout the week is prep. And then like 85% of what I prepped and, and researched and thought about throughout the week is actually what my player pool and roster is going to look like. But there's always going to be that like 10, 15, 20% that comes together on Saturday night where I'm like, oh, I wasn't seeing this or like, like Devon Achan wasn't in my pool heading into Saturday night. And then by the time I was putting things into the bink machine, I was at like 6% or 8% Achan. And he ended up on, on one, like a roster of mine that finished 16th out of 1100 entries in a single entry contest. Right. So you're like, um, you got to have that opportunity in your mind of like, all of this is prep. All of this is practice. None of this is decision-making. Um, and then in that context, I look at it as like a funnel, right? So you want the top of the funnel to be as broad as possible. So my process Tuesday is collecting. So that means just collecting as much information as I can. Um, Wednesday is sketching. Obviously I, I provide content. So sketching also coincides with me doing the DFS interpretations where I'm going game by game and breaking down how I expect each team to try to win and what that means for production and for my potential player pool. Um, but it's collect, sketch, blueprint, build, and carve is my process. So it's like collect on Tuesday, get as much information as I can, build a broad funnel, sketch on Wednesday where you're like, okay, now I'm in the games and I'm like kind of starting to see where these pieces might fall into a player pool. Thursday is blueprint where it's like, okay, this is what my, my player pool for the player grid is going to look like. This is the sharpest guys on the slate on paper by the research. Um, and then Friday, Saturday is when I really start building. Um, and then like Saturday night is the true build and carve and carve is like that last 10, 15% where it's like, oh, I can do this or I can do that. Um, and kind of like selecting those, those top rosters for single entry three max. So it's like, you do want to make sure that process gives you room to like to play around with games on Tuesday or Wednesday that you probably won't actually have on Sunday. Um, and a good way to do that, you know, Sonic, Sonic, who's our, um, like one of our MME guys on the site um, in terms of like he provides MME content is MME player pool. He's a Millie maker winner. He took down hundred K this last week um, on FanDuel, but he actually, if I think he still does this, he actually builds like puts one roster from every team in play in the Millie maker. So basically my process of like practicing a build around each team, but he's actually like, you never know what could happen. So I'm going to have at least one roster from this ugly game and this ugly game and this ugly game. Um, and, you know, but like, might have 60 rosters built around this game, but I also have one roster built around this game over here. So um, yeah, just that, that like willingness to take in the ugly plays and build some rosters with plays that you might think off the top, like, I don't want this play. I don't like this guy. And that kind of forces you to, to see, well, maybe, right. Like yeah. maybe this guy. Uh, and then another thing too, is so much is, uh, and this is the last thing I'll say, then I'll turn it back over to you, but so much is game plan dependent in the nfl and so it's this is e this part's easy for me and it's a big edge for me in that i know these coaches so well right and i know these teams so well and i watch most weeks i'm able to watch every game and i listen to like at least 30 to 40 minutes worth of press conferences from every team and so and then i'm deep into like the the stats of like what are these teams good at and bad at? Not just, oh, this team gives up points, but why do they give up points and how did they give up these points, right? So that's something that that the average DFS player isn't going to have all that information, but there also has to be an understanding that other people do have that information, right? And so it's like, you can't just stay on the surface of, um, okay, what, what, you know, this defense has given up points and this is what the game logs say, because you also have to be able to project forward and say like, you know, what about this spot? What about this spot? Um, so the best way to do that, obviously, is just to like um, listen to the NFL Edge. It, the, we do an NFL Edge audio version. It's completely free. It's on the one week season podcast feed where Tylo and Mike and Poppy's breakdowns of, of every game from top to bottom. Like, and, and it's broken down by game environment, um, how this team is likely to try to win, how this team is likely to try to win and like what that means for, for the likeliest game flow. Um, so that helps a ton because it, 
every week. It's like I used to read Evan Silva's uh, matchups breakdown every week because it's just like over time you gain so much information, right? It all just keeps getting put into the bucket. So the, the NFL edge, you listen to it. I throw it on 2X speed. I listen to it on Friday mornings, throw it on 2X speed. And it's like 40 or 50 minutes of listening and you get the full breakdown of, of every game, right? And um, so even just doing that, you suddenly have such a huge knowledge edge where it's not just like, oh, this defense is bad or this defense has given up points, but it's, it's more like, why did they give up points? How did they give up points? You know, I mean, Hilo, I would put Hilo's NFL knowledge up with literally anybody in in existence right like and he writes for roto world he he writes for 33rd team like hilo is is legit 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 and then mike is over here like he literally every game that he's writing up he goes back and watches the last multiple games from these teams like understands the context of how these stats were created and like so there's so much value in you think about the amount of work these guys are putting into writing the nfl edge and then in 50 minutes you can put all of that into your brain and that's all like knowledge and information you have now. Right. So um, little things like that make a huge difference because um, like we always say with players, like, Oh, well, like if this player goes off, somebody's going to have him. Right. Or we talked yesterday about like, if you get 20 points from Kelsey, 15 points from Kelsey. Yeah. You might not have been able to guess on the tight end, the cheap tight end who gets 20, but somebody's going to have that guy and you have to be aware of that. Right. And somebody's going to get that score and now pass you. And, and so it's the same thing, like somebody that you're competing against, is going to have better information than you if you're not adding in those little pieces. And um, I think most of us, generally speaking, are always looking for content that we can kind of pass the time with on drives or when we're doing whatever tasks we're having to do. Like when I'm cleaning up the house in the evening from the kids turning the, the house into like a, a crazy zone throughout the day, it's like I just pop something in and I'm listening to it, right, and gathering more information. So um, that's really valuable as well. And it's going to help a ton in terms of not just um, – because you don't have like if you go if you want to do the research, uh, there's you know, Pro Football Focus, FTN, who I've I've fallen in love with, and, and we've been working with them lately. Um, Fantasy Points that Scott Barrett uh, and Graham Barfield started. They have a really great data suite, but all of those cost additional money, right? And then a lot of time, and and you got to understand like where to dig into things and what to look for. So honestly, the the for most people, the best thing is like, hey, the NFL Edge is free. And you throw it on 2x speed and you get the whole thing in in 40 or 50 minutes and it's like you do that for five six weeks and all of a sudden you're like man i know so much more about these teams and players than i did a month ago uh, and that just keeps adding to the edge so yeah that's a that's a big thing i would say that can sharpen that process of going through the games because you can get a lot more nuance in your thinking than just like like here's the game logs and here's the targets and all that um because you can really have that context behind it so, yeah, you can go from basically being like a casual player to a much more serious player in that sense. Yeah. Yeah. And and it's it's all it's layers that build over time. You know, like my my obviously I've been like a big NFL guy my whole life. But like my deeper knowledge really started when I started playing DFS and reading the Rotor World blurbs every day. Silva was still there at the time. So he was he was actually Levitan was still at Rotor World at that time, too. But. Um, they were kind of running the show there and then Silva's matchups column. And you read that like day in and day out. I think Silva's matchups are still free on, on ETR. So if anybody wants to read those, you can get a lot of information about the teams and players and, and the match from the matchup side of things. Um, not necessarily the, not the coaching side as much. And then you could go to the NFL edge for the coaching side and like game environment stuff. But um, yeah, but the concept it's, it's just saying like, it's not like you're cramming, right? It's more like, you put it in every week or, or I think about like, I'll go on Pete's show tomorrow. Right. And I'll be pulling numbers of like, this team ranks this and this, this guy ranks this and this guy averages this. None of that stuff that I was like, oh, how do I remember this? Right. Like you're just immersed in it. And so though, and it's something you're interested in. So those things stick in your head. Right. So you listen to this stuff every week or read this stuff every week. Like you start picking up that stuff really quickly to where, you know, who these coaches are, you know, what they like to do, you know, what these teams like to do. Um, you know, who's improving, who's not improving, like why th teams are bad at what they're doing or good at what they're doing. So yeah, like you said, like from, you go from like casual knowledge and guessing to like a, a much more expert level of understanding of the why behind these things. Yeah. And I think that might be like my biggest like weak point is I don't really understand the coaches and like what they're doing and all that. And, and I've, I've kind of gotten more into to watching football the past three years honestly probably because of dfs so 
I haven't been one of the guys that's like watched football their whole life. And so like, I'm just now like understanding everything. Which is funny. Cause you're, you were, you're in such a football family. And, yeah. Um, I know. And, right? and then like, and then like you got out of the house and then you're like, I'm gonna start watching football now. <laughs> <laughs> right. I've been watching football my entire life and, and I just didn't want anything to do with it. And now that I'm gone, funny. I want everything to do with it. <laughs> <laughs> it's crazy. Right. Yeah. Yeah, but, and that's another, like you, you know, even watching football, it's like if you don't know what to watch for, there's only so much you can pick up. You know what I mean? Like, like you can see, oh, this guy's good. You know, like certain guys, you can be like, or you can be like, man, Justin Jefferson's always getting targets. He's always open. You can see that in the box score too. But, um, but yeah, there's like once you start adding that extra layer of information, you know, like I feel like what, when I fell in love with football was when I was a kid and whatever game John Madden was calling was on TV every week. And you learned so much listening to John Madden. Cause he was always like, he would describe, he would, he would, he would call a game as if it was your first time watching a game, you know, so he was like always explaining little things, but you learned so much watching those Madden games or there's nobody really like that now where you're going to watch the game. And most people are watching the red zone channel anyway. Right. So they're just seeing plays. Um, and so really like adding a, a supplement like the NFL edge where you can listen to it, all the games on the main slate are broken down from, from like a perspective of how each team's going to try to win that helps so much and, and just gives you that big boost in terms of like, okay, now I have an understanding of the how and the why behind these things. Yeah. And I think um, this year I have been a little bit more like busy, but what I do listen to is I think more valuable content um, compared to like, last year maybe the year before where it was here are the like top five picks for this week you know and it's like well anybody can just guess like the top five picks like you can obviously like look at the slate and look at the players on here and you're like well obviously those are the top five picks but i mean you got to go a little deeper than that and like yeah and I, and you know i was saying this on the podcast so i won't go deep into it here because the the winter circle podcast and so hopefully some of you will listen to that, but um, there was a, I think that this is, and it's been like borne out in my results over the last year and a half uh, or, or over like the last like seasons worth of play. But in my opinion, this is the biggest edge we've had in NFL DFS since like the 2014, 2015 era, where it was like everybody was playing and most of them had no idea what they were doing. And it was like really inefficient um market and so you could just take advantage of it like i think this is the biggest edge we've had since then because people are because sims like game simulations are getting so much press and people are so reliant on those in terms of like oh these are even better projections than before and they are and i'm not like i'm not dumping on sims like i i think it's really cool what they're doing and like run the sims is a site that i really like and um, really like the guys who run that site but the over-reliance on that gives us an edge. And the example I used in the podcast was uh, I was listening to um, one of the New Heights episodes recently with Travis and Jason Kelsey. And Jason Kelsey was talking about a play where like one guy was misaligned on the defensive line. And he, and he said, uh, like, that might not sound like a big deal to you if you're just listening to this. He's like, but every, like the spacing on every single play is so critical. And like, like one guy being misaligned can ruin the entire play, right? And then it, it goes from being a play that the defense can stop to like a huge play or vice versa, a play that the offense can run successfully to an offense, to a play that's like a negative six yard play. And so um, the what I said in the podcast is, you know, chaos theory, people uh, hear it as like the, the what we always hear is the butterfly effect. And it's described in like pop culture as like, oh, butterfly can flap its wings in Africa and it can create a tsunami wherever, right? And that's not truly like the crux of chaos theory. What the, what the core of chaos theory is, is that things as small as a butterfly flapping its wings can affect the long-term weather, but that there are millions or billions or whatever butterflies, right? And so it's like, it, it, chaos theory is this. Everything in the, this is coming back to football, but everything in the weather is cause and effect, but there is so much cause that like we are completely incapable of accounting for all the, the in, infinitude of things that go into like the long range weather. You know what I'm saying? And so to us, it is effectively chaos. And an NFL game is the same way, right? Where 
there are, we say, we say it all the time, we see it all the time, that one play can change the entire game. And a lot of times that one play that changes the entire game is down to one player who makes one small mistake, right? And if that player didn't make that mistake on that play, then that play goes a totally different way. And then the game as a whole goes a totally different way. And this is why teams like the, the Patriots, or not so much this year, but the Patriots, the Titans, teams where you look at the roster and you're like, uh, this team can't win games. And then they find ways to win games because they're just really well coached and really disciplined. And they don't make those small mistakes on any plays. So when they play the teams that do make the small mistakes, they're always able to find, find that little edge, right? And so that, that idea of the NFL is one of the perfect examples of chaos theory in that the the massive number of things that go into trying to predict what will happen makes it so impossible for us to like pull all of the cause and effect in and actually predict ourselves. So like Sims do any, like projections have been great for years and Sims do an even better job of that. And yet that will never account for like all the things that can happen in a game. You get what I'm saying? So it's like, um, that's one of the things too, is, is the more people focus on who are the best players on the slate, the more edge we're going to have because there's just so much that can go wrong with those plays. And, and then there's so much that can go right with other plays that are just like a little bit less good than those plays, but people aren't on them because they're not the five best plays. So um, yeah, it's just understanding the game of football is, you know, obviously the edge we have at OWS is taking like a blend of understanding football and then DFS game theory and knowledge and strategy and like blending those two things together. But that's in terms of understanding the, the football side, that can make it a little bit easier to say, okay, everybody's on this guy, but maybe he's not quite as good of a play as everybody thinks. And maybe it's this other guy. Right. And, and obviously we're always going to have some chalk on our rosters and, and, but the key is like playing the good chalk, avoiding the mediocre chalk um, and finding the plays that, you know, in a different context could be chalk or could have the top score kind of blending all that together really just gives us a massive edge. Yeah. And um, something that kind of stuck with me, throughout the years you said it i don't think you even said it on one of these uh videos but you said it to me you're like it's it's crazy because everybody in the nfl is a, a pro football player and i mean it's like duh like every when you when you hear that but it's it's so true and they're all like top athletes and the the margin for which these teams beat each other really like like there's exceptions i mean the denver Miami game, but exactly usually yeah. there's a there's very small like comparison when it comes to winning and losing with these teams. Yeah. Yeah. You have a team like the Cardinals that like everyone was convinced they were tanking just looking at their roster. And then all of a sudden, you know, they beat the Cowboys and they almost beat Washington. And they almost beat uh they didn't almost beat the 49ers, but they gave the 49ers a run until deep into the fourth quarter and or you know, early in the fourth quarter. And what was the other whatever their other game was, like they played that one really close. You know, it's like the, the worst team in the NFL, if they're well coached, can still beat the best team in the NFL. You know, maybe only 25% of the time, but they can still beat the best team in the NFL. Um, and so then, and then that also brings it back to like why understanding the coaching side of things is so critical because, um, you know, an average roster that's, that's poorly coached is going to get beat by like a bad roster, quote, bad roster that's well coached. Because again, the bad roster is still all NFL players. They were still like the, I think about like, I had a, I had a, um, when I was a junior in high school, our, our, we 10 game season after the ninth game, we missed our chance at making the playoffs. And then our coach got fired after that game for um, leaving a, leaving one of the players off the bus in like central Oklahoma at a gas station <laughs> after, um, after getting upset with him. So our coach got fired. Uh, we couldn't be in the playoffs. And, uh, and actually Chris, who's listening to this was a freshman that year and balled out. Chris is like one of the best football players I ever played with. Um, Chris balled out in that last game of the season. Uh, but we were playing this team that had a, a guy who was, you know, being recruited by like power five schools. And, um, I, I remember going to, he was a running back and I remember going to tackle him and just getting like laid out. Like I went to tackle him and I just got like knocked onto the ground and he just kept running. And it's like, that dude didn't make the NFL, you know, like all these guys who make the NFL, 
they are, they were those players in high school. They were just like way better than everybody or almost all these guys in the NFL, right? Were those players in high school that were way better than everyone else and then played in college. And then a lot of them were way better than everyone in college. And now they're in the NFL. You know, it's like, these are all good, good players and yeah, crazy, crazy things can happen, but also poorly coached teams or teams where there's no belief in the locker room. Like they don't tend to do well. Mm-hmm. So you got to be aware of that and kind of have your, your fingers on the pulse of everything. Yeah. And that, that just reminded me um, a little like side thing. I saw a picture of like Micah Parsons picking up a lineman. <laughs> like this guy lifted this like 300 plus pound man off the ground. Like, are you kidding me? These guys are genetic freaks. dude. It's crazy. The guys who are so much better than all the other NFL players, you know, cause you're like, <laughs> yeah. how is that possible? <laughs> <laughs> like, the ones above the rest are crazy. Yeah, the ones dude. above the rest, uh, especially like on the line where you've got like the, the Aaron Donalds or the Miles Garrett's or the, the Chris Joneses or the Micah Parsons. Yeah. That's, that's pretty nuts. I mean, yeah, dude, that's crazy. Um, but to, to get back on track, what – so, like, for every new player, you know, let's kind of, like, just start from ground zero. You're getting into this, and <clears throat> what is your, like, best advice for just starting out and really, like, trying to keep up with at least the rest of the field? Obviously, you want to listen to the 45-minute the podcast. You want to take in every information, all the information you can – with your guys' site, because you guys really do give out a lot of great info, a lot of good free info as well. Um, but besides that, is there any other takes that you yourself might give? Yeah, my big thing is 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 have a process um, because there's there's value in the the less you can focus on results, the better you're going to do, right? And I said this to you last week, I think, on one of the shows that. Um, you know, I had my first losing weekend money wise in week three and it, I didn't, it was a tough week. It was a challenging week in terms of it would typically have been a losing weekend for me. And I played really well. And it, I, if we could have played out that state a hundred times, I would have made money. And I was very proud of my play. And I was like on a knife's edge between it being a profitable week and an unprofitable week. But because it was an unprofitable week, like immediately my mindset tried to shift to like, oh, I had a losing week, right? And I started like pressing a little bit more. And I was like, oh, I got to do more work this week. I got to like listen to more stuff this week. I got to do a little bit better. And then on Tuesday, I literally started like saying to myself in my head, like you had a winning week last week. Like I had to convince myself that I had a winning week in week three because otherwise I knew I was going to like get out of my out of my process, right? And then I was able to be like, okay, like just keep doing the same thing. Like keep putting yourself in that good position because otherwise you can get so far off track from a results-based standpoint. And even, even like, um, there's a great book by Rick Rubin, who, uh, if you're not familiar with Rick Rubin, he's a music producer and he's produced for everyone from like the Rolling Stones to Johnny Cash, to Slipknot, to Adele, to, um, Red Hot Chili Peppers. And like all these people, he's done their best albums ever. Anyhow, he has his book called the creative, I think it's called the creative act. Um, that came out this last year and, Listen to the book. Where was I going with that? What was I saying right before that? <laughs> if this were a solo no, no. podcast, I would pause it right now. You were you were talking about um, how the week you didn't you didn't want to look at it as a losing week because it would mess up your process. Uh, I don't know. It'll come back to me. Um, <laughs> but yeah, the the like having a oh that's what it was like saying like uh, Rick Rubin was saying like if you're if the end of the work is like if the end of your artistic work is the goal, right? Then it's like, you're, you have all this time of like work and then you have like one moment of like, oh, it's complete, right? And then it's like, you turn the page and you're starting from scratch again. Whereas if you're taking like joy in the journey of the process, then it's like a work being done is just like another day in a sense, right? Because it's like, uh, you have your process for your, your creative process and you're just following that. And then you hear a lot of athletes talk about that too, because only one team wins the Super Super Bowl. Only one team wins the NBA championship, right? So yes, you want that, but also there has to be some level of you just love that process. And the cool thing about NFL DFS is everything's set up in a week 
long span. So it's so easy to set up a process. And like I said, my process does go collect, sketch, blueprint, build, carve. And that's why that's how I call it, right? It's like from the top of the funnel down to the bottom of the funnel. However you want to like label these steps and however you want to approach these steps, the concept is like have a process that, hey, Tuesday, I try to do this. Wednesday, I try to do this. Thursday, I try to do this. Friday, I try to do this. Saturday, I'm prepared to build because of the things that I've done, right? And that building can, the building of your rosters can build off of everything else that you've done. It's that top of the pyramid um, where everything below it is like, puts you in position to have these good builds and confident builds. And and then, like I said to Aaron, our, uh, Roto Maven, who uh, is our CO, COO on um on OWS, we have our weekly call on Wednesdays. I said to him yesterday that the, um, I lost my train of thought again, man, I don't know where my head's at right now. Um, <laughs> but the, the um, whatever, the process. <laughs> <laughs> you know, hey, it, you're, I actually have something off, off topic. Um, if, I mean, we're, we're getting near the end of the show anyways. Um, Matt Canada. Why does everybody hate Matt Canada? Well, we can get to that in just a second. But yeah, let me let me close out <laughs> with this. Right, I don't, I don't, I did lose my train of thought again. But the basically like having a process where everything goes from a, a broad point down to a, a fine point is so critical, right? Because then, oh, that's just what I was saying to Aaron. Is I've said to him before, like the weeks when I have to travel, right? Like when I come to Oklahoma for the holidays or go to New England for the holidays or whatever else might pop up. You know, last year we had Becca's wedding in October and then we flew out to New England to see my parents. Um, those weeks when I travel during NFL season, those are oftentimes my favorite weeks because I know the critical points I have to hit. Obviously there's the work points of like content and whatnot, but I know the critical points I have to hit in my DFS play and my DFS process. And so now it's like a new puzzle where it's like, okay, we're traveling on this day and we've got family stuff here and we've got all this stuff, right? So how do I, like and I, every week, you know, you know me, I've even set you up with like on a phone one time with my process for the week, right? So I'm very process driven, but it's like, I take my week process and then I like adjust it to say, okay, how do I hit all these points on this particular week? And so turning DFS into something like that. And that's why I say you could play DFS as a losing player for five years and make way more money in life than you would otherwise, because you can learn so much from DFS. And so that's one of the things that you can really learn is like, okay, how do I structure my week? And then follow like, okay, Tuesday, these are the things that I'm going to hit and treat it as like, you know, like I've said to you, like we're, we're trying to make money here. Right. So it's like, and it takes, you know, we had a guy win $310,000 last weekend. Um, we had multiple people have six figure caches last week. And we had, you know, week two, we had a guy uh, take down whatever it was, a hundred and something thousand dollars off of maybe it was more than that 136,000 I think it was off $19 in entry fees right so it's like it just takes one weekend like that and you got to put in like the work you can't be like oh well like I didn't get to it this week almost treat it like your workout regimen right where you're like which you know show the people your guns uh feel free to but uh it's almost like you're uh, <laughs> like how you are with working out right and eating and all that like it's all very much like planned out right and yeah. it should be like that with DFS where it's like dude, like I'm going to have a week where I make a ton of money and I'm going to do that by making sure that every week I kind of hit these, these marks. Right. And you just keep putting that in the bucket week in and week out and it's going to play out. So um, yeah, that would be like the biggest thing I would say is come up with a process that allows you to go from the top of the funnel down to the bottom. And that doesn't put you in position where you're trying to make decisions on, on Tuesday, Wednesday, but that allows you to be like, I'm just getting as much information as I can here. Um, Matt Canada, Matt Canada. <laughs> Matt Canada's offense is like this. It's like, go out there and get open. <laughs> um, you know, you watch you watch the Rams, you watch the 49ers, you watch the uh, – well, let's put it like this. What, what I said about from the Jason Kelsey thing about like one guy being misaligned, right? Um, when a player goes in motion, that forces the defense to communicate. So – let's say there's 60 offensive plays. Let's say you go in motion all 60 plays. And let's say the defense communicates successfully on 59 of those plays <laughs> on one play, the defense like messes up the communication and somebody's left wide open, or there's like a huge hole in the, in the run scheme or whatever it is. Right. You get this explosive play based off that most of the sharpest coaches in the NFL talk constantly about explosive plays and their statistic, even Arthur Smith, who runs the ball all the time, like, 
there are statistics that very much back up, same as the turnover differential, like whichever team gets the most explosive plays is going to win most games, right? And so even Arthur Smith, who's running the ball all the time, like he's running the ball, hunting for explosive plays on the ground or the way that he can set up passing plays and whatever. And one of the best ways to set up explosive plays is to mess up the defense, right? So Matt Canada never puts anybody in motion, which is just like a cheat code that you could use just to create opportunities to throw the defense off balance. Um, there's no route concepts. You know, uh, Kyle Shanahan's entire offense is a running game. And it's just that sometimes the runs are, you throw the ball 15 yards downfield to Debo Samuel and then he runs it. But it's not like, like Kyle Shanahan's scheme doesn't end at how do I get the ball into Debo's hands? Kyle Shanahan's scheme is set up so how do I get Debo the ball in space with blockers set up in front of him? Like uh, Ray McLeod plays like almost every snap for, or Jawan Jennings or whoever it's been over the years, like plays like every snap for the 49ers and never gets targets. It's because he's like an offensive lineman at wide receiver. He's an excellent <laughs> blocker. And they yeah. basically just like, his job is to be out in space blocking people, you know? And so yeah. the, their whole thing is like, uh, and they drafted Debo. They, they obviously Kittle, I think was already there when, when Shanahan showed up, they drafted Ayuk, they traded for McCaffrey. They got all these guys who you get them the ball in space. They're going to be hard to take down and everything's schemed to block for them. Well, and then on top of that, so Shanahan's going to be like, okay, how do we manipulate the defense so that there's space around Debo when he catches the ball and then make sure that there's something in place to get blocks. We get these explosive plays. Matt Cannon is like, go run a curl. <laughs> if you get open, we'll throw it to you. Um, <laughs> so like so yeah, that's high school high school level why, um, people hate on high school level stuff. play. Basically. Yeah. 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 So um, I, I saw a video. There's a there's a conspiracy. Have you seen the conspiracy with his his uh, like fake Twitter account? No. <laughs> so like, I don't I don't really know. I'm sorry to anybody watching if I mess this up, but like, apparently he's got like a he's created like this ghost Twitter account to where like he defends himself when people are talking <laughs> trash to him. <laughs> they're, they're like talking about how bad his offense is, and then he's like. He's like, well, Matt Canada allows this guy to get open so and so like every single one of these things. And then like they went to the email and it was like like Matt Canada something something like at Steelers.com or something like that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And that was funny. And then I saw a video as well. I don't know who said it, but it could have been last year. I don't know if it is he is he a new coach this year? No, unfortunately, he's been there too long. Okay, so then it could have been from last year. Anyways, he was like, that was a great game out there, guys. I'm glad you guys uh, won or something like that. And then, like, as they were walking, um, somebody was like, well, it's not because of you. And, like, they said <laughs> it, like, right to his face, dude. So even if like, the team doesn't like him, it's crazy. No, that is pretty crazy. The um, Yeah, there's a handful. There's some offenses that are, like, running Stone Age offenses. And um, unfortunately, you know, the Saints are another one of those. It's like – they're running a 1980s West Coast offense. Um, the Bengals are one of those, which I, I love Zach Taylor as a like as a man and as a head coach. But in terms of like what he does to maximize the talent on that offense, it's pretty poor. But yeah, there's some teams that they just don't um, they don't do enough to like scheme guys open. It's more just like go get open. And um, when you have when you have uh, like Kyle Shanahan's you know, Kyle Shanahan, Mike McDaniel, who was under Kyle yep. Shanahan and, and, you know, left that tree to go to the Dolphins. Like these guys are like football geniuses. Not everybody's, there aren't many Sean McVay's and Kyle Shanahan's and Mike, Mike McDaniel's, but um, every NFL offensive coordinator should be able to at least like design and call games at a high level. And there's a yeah. handful who just don't, which is, which is pretty pathetic. Yeah. And, and it's funny. Cause I've like, been seeing a ton of stuff about Mike McDaniel and like how he does his offense. And obviously you probably know a ton about it. Um, and he's it, also it, hilarious. Yeah. 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 He's also, he's great. Um, there was a clip. Um, there was two weeks ago, uh, last week, maybe it was they, somebody, some reporter asked him, <laughs> they said like the six fastest recorded, like miles per hour times in the NFL are all from players on the dolphins. Yeah. Because, yeah. Um, Cause that just seems unfair. And um, Mike McDaniel goes uh, unfair. I mean, we don't make any of these guys play against their will. 
Oh, that's, that's pretty funny. This is always like really dry delivery. Yeah. Like, but he's like always screwing around with people. Or the, did you see the I showed Abby the clip this morning of him sprinting off the field at halftime a couple weeks ago? Yeah, I was about to mention like, that. to the cameraman and just started sprinting. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, that yeah. was great. And then he's like, dope. <laughs> yeah. His whole attire, too, is great. The, yeah. The yeah. Yeah. He told, um, his last year with the 49ers, he told Debo Samuel before the before the year, he said, like, he basically said to him, if you and I do what we're capable of this year, you'll be one of the highest paid wide receivers in the NFL next year, and I'll be a head coach in the NFL next year. And sure enough, Debo had that monster year, and then Mike yeah. Daniel went to the went to the Dolphins. Um, yeah, yeah. There's I mean, there's some and there's some guys who are like that good, you know, and not everybody's gonna be that good, but you gotta be um like you got to be on that level to be able to compete with those guys. Uh, uh, Bobby, I think it's Bobby, Bobby Slowick uh, with the, um, with the Texans coach slow is the offensive coordinator there came from that um, 49ers team as well. I and mean, he's done a great job bringing like a lot of those same concepts to that Texans offense. Part of the reason they've been so successful is, is, you know, again, taking those Shanahan concepts and applying them and, and the Shanahan concepts, like, you know, Shanahan's dad, Mike Shanahan, was a was a head coach for uh, 30 years, won two Super Bowls with the Broncos. Um, and it was like all of this, all of the Kyle Shanahan stuff is built off of the Mike Shanahan, Gary Kubiak, like outside zone run, uh, layered route concept type stuff. And then um, Kyle Shanahan just like took it to the next level. But which is cool because so many that's another thing, too, like the best of the best coaches. I mean, the best of the best players make the NFL. Right not the best of the best coaches necessarily, because there is a lot of nepotism. There's a lot of, you know, there are so many sons coaching in the NFL and not all of them are necessarily the best coaches. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, and there's so many, uh, you know, no, no, um, no hate on press Taylor, but like press Taylor, uh, Zach Taylor's brother is the offensive coordinator of the Jags, not doing a great job so far. Like he was with Doug Peterson in Philadelphia, um, there's a lot of that too, right? Like, oh, I know this guy, so let me let me hire him, let me bring him in. Yeah. Um, and and I used to always think, I mean, this is we're getting way off topic here, which is kind of a fun conversation in terms of knowing the NFL better. Um, I used to always think, well, like, sure, there is an element of, hey, I coached with this guy before, you know, maybe he's not the best coach, but at the same time, you're coaching with these, like you're 80, 90 hours a week with these guys. Like having a room that you enjoy working with is also important. I used to think that. But then it was, I think it was Nick Sirianni who, when he got hired for the Eagles coach coaching job, like he just cast a wide net and just interviewed as many people as he could for each position and was like, whether I know you or not, whether I've had experience with you or not, have connections with you or not. Like he basically was like, I can, I can determine in the interview process whether or not I can work with these people. Right. But he was like, I want to find the absolute best coaches at every single spot, um, which is obviously much sharper than just saying, oh yeah, I've worked with this guy before and we'll work well together. And um and yeah, so there, there is certainly like, there are coaching edges in the NFL where some coaches are a lot better than others. And that makes a, that makes a huge difference because the players are somewhat equal across most of these rosters. Yeah. Um, I mean, I know we're so off topic here, but that's like, what's so great about this show is it's not Agreed. <laughs> lab builds. You can really just, it's football. Um, it's my show. We can do whatever we can do. <laughs> exactly um question so i've been seeing like a lot of stuff about how everybody is talking about like um mike mcdaniels um kyle shanahan like those offenses are the future do you think in the next five years a lot of these coaching positions are going to be filled up with more like great minds like that or are they like generational minds that really can't be replicated i'd say more the latter um I also think, you know, most of these organizations don't actually have any concept of what they should be looking for in a head coach, right? So you get bad head coaching hires and then they make bad hires. Um, And then there's also an element of, there's only so many, there are, I mean, I don't know, Sean McVay kind of puts this theory to rest, right? Like Cooper Cup was a third rounder, Puka Nakua was a fifth rounder, but there are only so many like elite talents. There are so many, there are only so many Micah Parsons, right? Like there's only so many of these guys who are like, oh, this guy's even way better than all the other NFL Mm -hmm. players. And so Shanahan, you know, Shanahan also, like he had a great offense with Cleveland in the, in the 
like late 20 knots or whatever you call it, um, like early 2010s. Uh, and then, you know, he had a great offense with the with the Falcons, but there he had Matt Ryan, he had Julio Jones. Uh, with the 49ers, he's always kind of built in these these pieces that are great for his offense. Uh, Mike McDaniel has Jalen Waddell and, and Tyreek Hill and all this speed and Tua who's able to read the field so quickly. So, I mean, there's also only so many like weapons that you can build, like quarterbacks and pass catchers that you can build these types of offenses around. And there are teams, there have to be the the Tennessee Titans, right? There has to be the team that's like, okay, we can't run that type of offense. So we build things around Derrick Henry and we design our game plans differently. Uh, so I think that there's an, an element of um, that is clearly like the type of offense that's going to give the defense the most fits, but there are only so many players that you can fit into that type of offense. And there are only so many Sean McVay's and Kyle Shanahan's and Mike McDaniel's that are able to um, see everything so well and, and push the right buttons so consistently. So, yeah, I mean, it would be cool if, if the whole NFL was just like, dudes doing stuff like this but i think that we're like a, a much longer way off from that as much as as much as teams maybe would want to um replicate that and that's that's i find that like crazy i mean i believe you 100 percent, but i just think it's crazy that you can as a a team as like a gm to watch these coaches do what they're doing and not say hey let's try and replicate that or, or hey, let's let's try and get some of those guys in in this like area. Let's get them in this team, you know. Yeah, I mean, but also look at like how good the Eagles are, right? And they don't run <laughs> yeah. that style of offense. Like, there's That's other true. ways to win based on the personnel you have. I think the biggest, like, the most critical thing is a lot of these teams literally, like, a lot of these owners literally don't know what to look for in a, in a head coach. So they're you know, there was a period where everybody was trying to hire the next Sean, Sean McVay. And most of those coaches have since been fired, you know? So um, there is like, they're trying things, but they just, I mean, you know, Andy Reed, you know, Andy Reed went to four NFC championship games with the Eagles. And then now he's been to four AFC championship games with Kansas city. Like there, there's only so many Andy Reeds and there's yeah. only so many of like these guys who are just so good at what they do. Um, the generational so, talents. Yeah. Yeah. They are in a sense, these generational type guys. And, you know, like I, it's when you can find coaches that are good at picking assistant coaches, like almost every Belichick assistant has failed as a head coach. Cause Belichick himself is like a very unique mind and he has no interest in preparing his coordinators to, to go do this themselves. Right. But like Andy Reed, uh, coordinators have traditionally done really well. Matt Nagy had a horrible time in Chicago, but uh, Doug Peterson was an Andy Reid coordinator, right? Like Andy Reid coordinators over the years have always done really well. Um, Jonathan Gannon uh, went to the car. He's the head coach of the Cardinals this year, came from the Eagles. Um, Shane Steichen, head coach of the Colts, came from the Eagles. Um, Kevin O'Connell, who is the head coach of the Vikings, came from the Rams. Uh, Zach Taylor, head coach of the Bengals, came from the Rams. Mike McDaniel came from the 49ers. Robert Sala came from the 49ers. D'Amico Ryans with the Texans came from the 49ers. So like when you can also find these teams that like, it's not that they're just taking what Shanahan does or what, what um, Sean McVay does, right? Like those guys are unique talents, but they're also able to identify really good coaches to work with. So then you're like, okay, cool. Like let's pull from those trees. Uh, and you're definitely going to keep seeing teams trying that. But, um, but yeah, I mean, there, again, there are only so many, guys who can be at the top and once the tides rise then there's still going to be like then this is the average right and then somebody else has to there's, there's going to be three or four teams that find ways to be above that average and so uh yeah it's always like that that cat and mouse game and teams are always jockeying for that position you're always going to have teams making horrible hires or sticking with coaches like matt canada and um and yeah that's the nfl for you <laughs> well that was a a really fun like end tidbit there yeah. And I think that that's, you know, that goes back to what you were asking about at the top. And when, when I was saying, listening to the NFL edge, um, conversations like this don't necessarily like help you make picks in week five, but like you listen to a year's worth of conversations like this or NFL edge audio on, on Fridays, Saturdays, whatever. Uh, and you know, a year from now, you look at a, you open up the 10 games on the slate and you see them totally differently than, than somebody mm -hmm. else, you know, who isn't doing that stuff and putting that information in because over time, yeah, knowing 
knowing the players is valuable, but knowing the coaches is so much more valuable in my opinion. And uh, so you can just kind of keep picking up the little things and, and pretty soon you like you're way ahead of everybody else. And then you marry that with good strategy and DFS theory and all that. Um, it just puts you in great position. So yeah. Anything else before we, before we close out this unique podcast? No, I just, um, I'd like to ask like you guys as the audience, if, um, if there's anything you'd want us to do, I mean, I'd be cool to do it. If JM's cool to do it, um, I'm, I'm cool any to questions do. you have, I can relay that back to JM as well. So you know, I'm not reading the comments because <laughs> JM's not reading the comments. Feel free to no. shoot those out. And we did uh, read them on one show, and I saw I saw people again being like, "Keegan's underprepared." <laughs> <laughs> and the concept of the show, guys, um, <laughs> is, the, is the like. Keegan isn't diving into all the deep research, but yeah, uh, yeah. I mean, I got I got a lot of stuff I got to do. If you don't, if you don't like that uh, conceptually, then this might not be the show for you. <laughs> but uh, there is kind of the point. The yeah, I, I I mean, I would be fine doing this anytime we want to, right? Like mm -hmm. the roster building is it's it's that gives us like a staple thing that we can always do, right? Mm -hmm. But we can also always do stuff like this. So. Yeah, if you guys have more questions, drop them in the comments. If you guys want us to do another show like this, uh, typically our, our Friday the last couple of weeks has been a bink, a bink machine show. So we'll see if we want to do that tomorrow or if some questions come in, maybe we, maybe we go that direction. But uh, yeah, there's no, um, we don't have to be stuck on any particular process. I think that this show, as long as we're providing value, then people will, will keep coming back. And so I think that this was a valuable show. So yeah, appreciate the pivot today, Keegan. Good call on that. Um, with that, Thanks for hanging out. Uh, we will see you. It's Thursday. So if you, there goes my water bottle. If you are listening to this in time, uh, hopefully you will be on the site. Check out some showdown content. Make some money tonight. But we will see you on the site throughout the weekend. And we will see you at the top of the leaderboards on Sunday.